Today is the third day of a brand new year. Happy New Year, everyone. As happy as we can possibly make it, given the circumstances, right? 2021 has finally arrived, and the beginning of a new year is traditionally a time for reflection on the year that has passed, reevaluation of one's life from this new perspective, not from 2020 and all that came before as it might be, but reevaluation in light of how it actually was and how we actually were in the midst of it, and potential recommitment in the form of New Year's resolutions. This time that finds many of us discerning what choices we may want to make about how best to move forward with our lives reminds me of Robert Frost's most famous and also most widely misunderstood poem, The Road Not Taken. It's a fairly old poem, first published more than a century ago, and I'd like to invite us to spend just a few minutes here at the top exploring how Frost actually intended this poem to be read and how that original and now very much usually lost meaning might be of help for us here at the beginning of 2021. The one of the biggest problems with how this poem has come to be read is that the final three lines are often read in isolation. Uh, I'll share my screen with you um, as a reminder of what they say. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. These lines have often been understood as a recommendation to take the so-called road less traveled. When one comes to a turning point in life, this interpretation can lead to a lot of anxiety before the choice. What if I choose the wrong path? And after the choice has been made, it can also lead to a lot of self-criticism, self-laceration, beating yourself up for not choosing the other path. Allegedly, that would have made all the difference, right? Maybe, let's talk about it. Here's the interesting thing. All that anxiety and self-criticism and worrying about choosing precisely the right path as if a single one correct path even exists and who would even decide that being the case, that's actually what Frost wanted to undercut with his poem, not encourage as the poem has been taken to, to mean. To say more, let me give you a few important pieces of context. First, it's significant that The Road Not Taken was originally published in 1916 as a preface to his collection of poetry titled Mountain Interval. That means it was written and published in the middle of World War I that spanned from 1914 to 1918. Even more importantly, the poem was written specifically about Frost's experiences walking in the woods with his friend and fellow poet, Edward Thomas, who had published a poem the year before titled Roads. I'll give you just a few excerpts of this longer poem. I love roads. Roads go on while we forget and are forgotten like a star that shoots and is gone. This is actually the most famous line. Now all roads lead to France. And that's uh, about the beginning of World War I. And heavy is the tread of the living, but the dead returning lightly dance. Whatever the road bring to me or take from me, they keep me company with their pattering. 
So Frost would have had in mind Thomas's um, poem, Roads, when he wrote The Road Not Taken for Thomas. Even more specifically, Frost had in mind the many times that he and Thomas had taken long walks together. And at the end of almost every walk, Thomas would inevitably lament that, you know, it would have been better if we'd taken one or these other of forks on their road. You know, surely that would have taken us to more interesting views, to better bird sightings, whatever. But as Frost once wrote in a letter to Thomas, the somewhat harsh truth is, and this is Frost's evaluation of his friend, no matter which road you take, you always sigh and wish you'd taken another. Whew, that's, that's Frost taking the risk of dropping some truth bombs on his friend. Sometimes that goes well, sometimes it doesn't. This quote reveals Frost's motivation in writing his famous poem, and you don't actually, though, have to know this background if you read the poem closely. Although there's a lot more to say about this poem, I'll, give, I'll limit myself to just three clues that aid in interpreting this poem. The first clue is the title. Many people seem to misremember the title of Frost's poem as The Road Less Traveled. That's actually the title of psychologist M. Scott Peck's quite good book uh, uh, that was inspired by Frost's poem, by a misinterpretation, ironically, of, of Frost's poem. But Frost chose the much more haunting title, The Road Not Taken, putting the focus on missed opportunities. The standard interpretation of this poem would make a lot more sense if the title were The Road Less Traveled or The Choice That Made All the Difference. But that wasn't Frost's intent. As we've come to see, the title The Road Not Taken is a direct jibe at his friend Edward Thomas's self-undermining habit that no matter which road you take, you'll always sigh and wish you'd taken another. Frost was trying to hold up a mirror for his friend to notice that your grass is always greener attitude is making you miserable no matter what choice you make. The second of the three clues for how to interpret this poem comes in the middle with a number of references to how the two roads were essentially the same. At the beginning of the second stanza, we read that the other path was, quote, just as fair. And although the protagonist of the poem tries to spot the path that fewer people have chosen, that'll be the right one, he actually confesses at the end of the second stanza that the two paths had really warned them about the same, you know, the same number of people had really been on both. And then the third stanza begins by admitting, admitting that given the leaves that had fallen on both paths on that autumnal day, both that morning equally lay in leaves no, ste no steps had trodden back. So they were really kind of all new paths of given the leaves. Despite all those similarities and there being essentially no major difference between the two paths, the protagonist confesses in the final stanza, I still shall be telling this with a sigh. Notice that sigh. That's the part often left out um, from the very end of the, when the very end of this poem is quoted on all those inspirational posters uh, in isolation. The telling is not celebrating. It is with resignation that the poet is saying, somewhere, ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the road less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. The final clue is the poem's final word, difference. Once you stop to consider, you'll notice that made all the difference, it doesn't specify that it made the difference for better, 
or it made the difference for worse. Especially again, when you notice that sigh at the beginning of the final stanza, uh, it could be that choosing the road less traveled made all the difference in missing out on all the stuff that people saw on the road most people took. Now, let me hasten to add that if this interpretation of Frost's poem had not occurred to you previously, you're far from being alone. The first time I heard about it was when I was watching Dead Poets Society in college and during the scene when Robin Williams quotes, you know, just in isolation, that part of Frost's poem, one of my roommates who was an English major said, you know, Frost meant that line ironically. I actually wasn't even sure what my roommate meant when he first said it, but I later went and started doing a little research, and I quickly discovered that he was right. That being said, there is a venerable tradition to missing the point of this poem that goes back to the very beginning. When Frost first read the poem to a group of college students prior to it even being published, he realized that those college students were uh, had taken this poem pretty seriously, Frost said, despite my best effort to make it obvious by my manner of reading the poem that I was fooling. Indeed, the literary critic David Orr um, once called this poem close to being reader-proof because so many people have missed the point, given the decades of readers who have misunderstood it. The most poignant misreading, however, was by Edward Thomas. Uh, Frost's walking partner and fellow poet that he had written the poem for in the first place. Although it was Thomas's want, given his indecisiveness, um, he had been struggling with whether to enlist as a soldier in World War I. It was actually receiving Frost's poem in the mail that was the final piece among a constellation of factors that actually made up his mind to enlist in the regiment of the British Army Reserve. Tragically, he was killed on the first day of battle at Arras. He was killed on Easter Day of 1917. He survived a little more than two months in France. Remember, all roads lead to France. He was 39 years old. That real life ending to the road not traveled is a reminder that the takeaway from this poem is certainly not that our choices don't matter. Our choices can sometimes make all the difference. Sometimes we really are in a toxic environment. And that means the grass really may be a lot greener somewhere else. Other times though, there's an issue we need to work out. Otherwise we'll just keep replicating the same dynamics wherever we go, as John Kabat-Zinn famously said, wherever we go, there we are. As Frost said to his friend, no matter which road you take, you'll always sigh and wish you'd taken another. So if that's the pattern, maybe that's the piece that needs to be interrogated and worked on. Again, though, don't get me wrong. There's value in learning from our past, including our mistakes or missteps when that's really what's happened. But the spirit of the road not traveled is to experiment with turning down the volume on our regrets. As Lily Tomlin once said, Forgiveness means giving up all hope of a better past. There's no hope of a better past, right? That's, that book is now closed. And that includes forgiving ourselves. And here we find ourselves three days into the beginning of a new year. We can't change 2020. We can't get a better 2020 uh, and all that came before. But which roads will we choose in this new year? And in that choosing, 
what if we were to experiment with turning down the volume on the anxiety to make precisely the right choice, as if there were any such thing as the one right choice? And what if we were to turn up the volume on self-compassion, being kinder to ourselves and to others? For those of you interested in going deeper into some of these thoughts about discernment and making choices, uh, let me highlight two books in particular that could be fruitful reading here at the beginning of 2021. In the spirit of choose your own adventure, whether you are into fiction or nonfiction, uh, let me share my screen with you again. So if you're into fiction, maybe you want the book on the left. If you're into nonfiction, maybe the book on the right. On the left, we get, uh, I recommend Matt Haig's recent novel, The Midnight Library. I learned about it from my wife, Megan, who read it first and passed it along to me. If you prefer nonfiction, I recommend the Finnish philosopher Frank Martella's accessible and beautifully designed book, A Wonderful Life, Insights on Finding a Meaningful Existence, uh, or read both. I'll say just a little about each in turn. Since Haig's novel has uh, only been out a little more than three months, I don't want to spoil this book for those of you who may be interested in reading it, so I will only share the opening epigraph that will give you a taste of what the book is about. Between life and death, this book imagines there is a library. And within that library, the shelves go on forever. It's like a multiverse. And every book provides a chance to try another life you could have lived, to see how things would have been different if you'd made other choices. Would you have done anything different if you had the chance to undo your regrets? Now, I'd love to go in depth about this book, but suffice it to say that it can be read as a fascinating fictionalized exploration of Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. What if we experimented with learning to tell the stories of ourselves with less of a sigh? Along those lines, do you know the Brene Brown practice that when she sometimes starts telling a story, she'll say, the story I'm telling about that is, or the story I'm telling about myself is. Try that sometime. Try starting with the caveat, the story I'm telling about that is. It invites you to notice that there are multiple possible perspectives, ways of telling stories, and frameworks from which to tell stories about ourselves and others. And sometimes telling it differently can shift quite a lot. It's also true that so much of life is outside of our control, and there's no way of knowing in advance all the consequences of our choices. We can only choose our choice and then live it to the best of our ability. And if you might prefer to explore these themes from a nonfiction angle, you might appreciate Martella's recent book. There are lots of fun and interesting aspects of his writing, but for now I'll limit myself to one point that strongly resonates with what we've been exploring from Robert Frost's poem. In the same way that the protagonist of The Road Not Traveled keeps getting stuck in agonizing indecision about how to choose between two paths that are not even particularly different from one another, some folks can get stuck in trying to figure out what's the one true meaning of life? If I just knew that, how life, the universe, and everything works, then I could figure it all out. For instance, here's a quote from philosopher Soren Kierkegaard along those lines from his 1843 book, Repetition, that is both hilarious and profound. He says, how did I get into this world? Why was I not asked about it? And why was I not informed of the rules and the regulations, but just thrust into the ranks? 
how did I get involved in this big enterprise called actuality? Why should I be involved? Isn't it a matter of choice? And if I'm compelled to be involved, where's the manager? <laughs> I have something to say about this. Is there no manager? To whom shall I make my complaint? Have you ever felt something like that? You didn't ask to find yourself going through the world and forced to choose which path to take. You didn't ask to be in a world in which the past year has been hijacked by a global pandemic. Yet, here we find ourselves. And it's very much unclear that there is any manager or that filing a complaint would help if there were. So what are we to do? One playful suggestion from Martella that can actually be quite helpful is to experiment with letting go of this elusive idea of actually finding the meaning of life trademark in all capital letters. He says, instead, what if instead of seeking the meaning of life, you found it sufficient to just seek meaning in life? It's the small change of a preposition, but it can make a big difference. What are the people the places, the practices that most consistently give you meaning in your life that make you feel more grateful, more fully alive, more energized, more connected to yourself, to others, to this world. Any general universal meaning of life could only come from outside, from above, and is likely well above any of our pay grades if it even exists. As the astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson likes to say, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. Much more down-to-earth and accessible is noticing the ways that you can make meaning in this world. That can look like so many different things depending on your particular and peculiar passions and proclivities and personality. Perhaps that means fi finding meaning in your work, your volunteering, your hobbies, your family, your friends. It's about choosing the people, the places, the practices that consistently make your life meaningful and prioritizing those to the extent possible for you. The things that make you feel grateful, more alive, more energized, more connected. Arguably, the British surreal comedy troupe Monty Python got this point pretty spot on in their film, The Meaning of Life. Now, since that film came out almost 40 years ago, I don't feel bad spoiling one scene toward the end of the film. Some of you may recall that one of the actors receives a golden envelope, the contents of which are supposed to finally reveal the meaning of life. Upon reading the card, the actor declares it, well, that's nothing very special, and then reads aloud the meaning of life, phrased in Monty Python's somewhat crass but often profound manner. Here's the meaning of life, or perhaps the way to find meaning in life. Try to be nice to people. Avoid eating fat. Read a good book every now and then. Get some walking in. We just talked about that, right? Two weeks ago, walking. Get outside. Try to live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. That sounds a lot like the meaning of life as making meaning in life through the people, places, and practices that you choose. Now, if we were together in person, this is the point that I would invite us to participate in an annual UU ritual called Fire Communion. And although we can't yet safely be together in person to burn things, uh, which is always really fun, uh, that doesn't stop you from later safely lighting something on fire in the privacy of your own home. So later today or sometime this week, I invite you to consider, is there a person? Is there a place? 
Is there a habit that has been a particular hindrance to your well-being in 2020? Now, this is something you know within your control. Uh, to the extent possible for you at this time, is there something you feel called to let go of or to work on saying no to in this new year? What has been life negating for you in 2020, a hindrance to your well-being that regularly left you feeling drained of energy, alienated, or resentful? And while writing that person, place, or thing down on a slip of paper and lighting it on fire, that doesn't just magically necessarily mean you've let go of that totally. I invite you to ex uh, experience that ritual as one step in the process of saying no to a part of your life that you are now saying out loud has been life negating for you. Likewise, I invite you to light a candle. Again, safely, keep a watch over any open flame in your house. Light a candle and set an intention for a person, a place, or a habit that you want to do, to affirm, or say yes to in the new year? What has regularly left you feeling energized, connected, grateful, more fully alive? It doesn't have to be anything huge. Indeed, small changes can sometimes make a big difference. And as inspiration in the wake of this very hard year that has come before and amidst a pandemic in which we were only at the beginning of the end, I will share one final slide with you that uh, may help some of you with um, making uh, your re a resolution that you may actually really enjoy keeping. Gentle goals for a new year. Notice if one or more of these really resonates with you. And if it does, something just really kind of pops when you hear it. Maybe write it down and post it where you can see it regularly at the beginning of this new year as a reminder of an intention you want to set. Learn something new. Tell people you love them. Set healthy boundaries. Get outside whenever you can. Be truthful. Read good books. Sing in the shower. Allow your feelings to breathe. Give yourself permission to feel what you feel. Be delighted by small things. Take responsibility. Practice seeing goodness, what's sometimes called catch people in the act of doing things right instead of catching them in the act of doing things wrong. Speak kindly to yourself. Spend time being lazy. Remember your dreams. Some of these things aren't just about, you know, claiming and lighting a candle for things that were just in this past year. Sometimes it can be remembering stuff that brought you deep joy in childhood or adolescence and reclaiming some of those things. Stay compassionate and hopeful. In a few moments, our hymn of response is Fire of Commitment. As you listen, I invite you to consider discerning what you feel led to say yes or no to in this new year. As we listen, take a few deep breaths. Whatever our resolutions are or aren't, may we also include an intention to be more gentle and compassionate with ourselves and one another in this new year.